you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. And uh, one of the things that I loved about Brother Mike is he also loved the Word of God. And we, uh, we had lots and lots of discussions through the years. And one of the things that he um, just was passionate about and loved, and you knew him, you know this too, uh, was talking and teaching about heaven and, uh, or the end times. And uh, at one point in time, I, think, I don't know if it was last year or 2000, I think it was probably 2019 or maybe even 2018, and he, um, he said, hey, um, I'm going to preach on this. And I said, okay. And then I said, I, I, I figured you were. And, and he, <laughs> he kind of grinned and he said, why do you say that? I said, well, you usually preach on that. And he said, well, I just, I can't help but, but to think about it and preach about it and teach about it. I, I want to go there, you know. And so I, I agree. I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. And uh, one of the, the times that we were going back through uh, some of the, the past sermons that we have and uh, came across one in, in January of um, 2019. And he had started to lose his voice a little bit. And he he said, hey, I, I want to, I've watched this video, I want to show it in church the next time I preach, and, and I said, okay, and so he sent it to me, and, and it was, it was about the end times, and uh, I said, uh, I said, okay, yeah, that's fine, I mean, that's, that's cool with me, and uh, so he, he got up here, and he showed a video, and then talked about the end times, talked about, hey, don't you want to go there, let's go there together, you know, and and so, yeah, just a special man, uh, great, uh, great friend and brother and faithful servant. So I'm uh, going to miss him dearly, but we got that promise of eternal life that we'll see him again. And uh, so, amen. Well, last week in our study, we, uh, we saw this point. Don't let your past or your present circumstance uh, dictate or define your faithful following of and service to Jesus. Um, and I think that, again, very um, pertinent point there. I was talking with Brother Turner yesterday, and we uh, were talking about uh, just the fact that Brother Mike was faithful until he couldn't do it anymore. Uh, he was going downtown and handed out tracks on the street corner of Sundance Square and until they made it, you know, unlawful for them to do that, and then they handed out tracks right outside of Sundance Square. And Every week he would go with, with his partner in crime, Brother Turner, and they would, they, and they were criminals. No, <laughs> no, they, uh, they went out and, and handed out tracts every week, and uh, he did it until he, he physically couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, and he was even out there stumbling and even passing out at times when his health was failing. And again, just a, an amazing example of exactly what we talked about last week. Don't let your past or present circumstance dictate or define your faithful following of and service to Jesus. Uh, be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the end. But a lesson among many things that we, ha we gleaned or can glean even from uh, Tabitha, this lady we were introduced to, and uh, faithful disciple impacted a bunch of people. We talked especially about the widows uh, there in her town. And so uh, this week, we looked at chapter 10, see a well-known story about, uh, a lot of people know this story about Cornelius, and uh, I'm excited about this to, to see what God has for us. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time again, Lord. We thank you for uh, all that you do in our life, God. We thank you for your word, and we thank, thank you that we can gather uh, freely and weekly, regularly, 
even throughout the week in our groups and, and be encouraged and strengthened and reminded of what you uh, desire, what your will is, what your commands are, what's best for us. Um, and, and again, Lord, we don't have to wonder uh, because you have given us your word, you've given us your spirit uh, to teach us and to guide us. Uh, Lord, we're, we're thankful for all these things. We're thankful for faithful witnesses. We're thankful for faithful examples uh, in our life and that go before us. And even as we were talking about uh, Brother Michael Crane, Lord, we just thank you for that example and that witness, that testimony uh, that lived among us and, and uh, went, has now gone before us. Lord, we ask that uh, you would just continue to be with his family, continue to be with this family. Uh, Lord, as we uh, process through the, the stages of grieving and mourning and rejoicing all at the same time, and Lord, I ask you to give comfort where comfort is needed. And uh, Lord, we ask that through all of this, uh, not only in the, the passing of our dear brother, uh, but this, this sermon this morning, and uh, we pray you'd be glorified. And we pray that uh, you would be exalted in everything that's said and done. And we do pray if somebody's lost here today, they're not 100% sure where they're going to spend eternity, uh, that they will make sure of that today before they leave this place. And Lord, we ask that you would bless now. In, in a great way, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 10, we're going to just jump right in. Verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Ital Italian Regiment or cohort. Now, uh, some of you may have no idea what a, a centurion is or what a, a regiment or a cohort is, but a centurion was a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. Uh, and it may have been in one of the territorial armies, but it was in, under the, the, the Roman uh, command. And he, this centurion typically um, commanded about a hundred other soldiers, hence the word centurion, century. Um, those responsibilities were similar to some of the junior officers that uh, were in the army at the time. But there was a wide gap in social status between these non-commissioned officers and true officers which I think is even seen in some of our military today, right? You have officers who are officers, and they have non-commissioned ones. Um, but again, the interesting thing about this is there are only a few of these non-commissioned officers that were pr promoted beyond the rank of senior centurion. Uh, the Roman troops that were uh, scattered throughout Israel and, and specifically there in uh, Judea uh, normally were rewarded with Roman citizenship after 25 years of service. And so that's it's an interesting thing that uh, that's how they were rewarded. Um, this is also something that uh, we see that happened to Paul. Paul was, was a Roman citizen as well. The cohort, the Italian regiment, was a military unit of about 600 soldiers. And so Cornelius was a centurion, so he was over 100 soldiers that was a part of this 600-soldier band um, and so it's about one-tenth of a legion of soldiers in the Roman, Roman army. So he was well-known. He was influential. He had power. Uh, he was, of course, a military man. That was his job. That's what he did. But it, it's not just super interesting to know what somebody does and what their job is. I mean, we kind of have those conversations when we meet people. What, is, what do you do? You know, what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? And that's kind of surface things. But... It's, it's a lot more impactful when you move beyond what somebody does in their life to who they are. Uh, when you get to know the person and you understand who they are, then it can even make what they do a lot more interesting. 
right? And so we, we move beyond what his job was to who he was in verse 2. It says that he was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So again, if you're, if you're thinking about a, a Roman soldier, most of us have this idea that, um, you know, the ones who crucified Jesus, and we have an image whether we have seen a movie, The Passion or whatever, and these, these or some you have know, been watching The Chosen, and, and, and you have this idea of these guys are just mean, and they're vicious, and, and many of them were. History tells us that. Uh, they were ruthless. They were under, you know, rulers that cared not about Christians and didn't care about uh, life in general unless it lined up with what they wanted. But um, we see this man who was a soldier over all these men, and yet it says that he was a devout man who feared God, not only him, but everybody in his household feared the Lord, and he was a generous man. He gave to people in need, and he prayed to God always. So we see him in the world. He was a leader in the military of the world's most powerful kingdom, the most powerful army, the Roman kingdom. And I want to just even say this a little bit. That, that was the same kingdom we know that was in charge when Jesus was crucified. The kingdom that would eventually run the Jews completely out of, of Israel, chase them out of Jerusalem. It was the same kingdom that would persecute Christians in some of the vilest ways that history would tell us. This man's earthly job was to be a part of that military. And not just a part of it, but a leader in this military. But we see preserved in Scripture who he was. A devout man. That means he was a, a godly, loyal man to the Lord. He was God-fearing. He was, he was a God-fearing leader of his home. It says that it wasn't just him that feared the Lord. It was his whole house. We talked about that last week, that we need some men we need some godly men who are going to be unafraid to make spiritual decisions for their home to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We need men today who are going to say, it's our role, it's, it's my role as a man to say, we're not going to bow to the world. We're not going to live for the world. We're going to live for the Lord in his kingdom. As a God-fearing leader of his home, he was a generous giver, as we saw, to those in need and a faithful prayer warrior. That is the example of, uh, of men that we need today is who they are in the Lord. Number one in your notes is this. Be determined to be known for who you are in Christ and not for what you do in the world. Be known for who you are in Christ and not for what you do in the world. Again, we, we get so uh, hooked up on, on what goes on in this world and what we do in this world and, and what we have in this world and, and our lives because of all the responsibilities that we have in the world, we can quickly be defined by that. I'm a police officer, which I praise God for all the I'm a fireman. I praise God for our fireman. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a business owner. Praise God for that. I mean, all those things. We need Christians in all these areas. I'm a teacher. Praise God for that. We need people of God in places in this world so that we can be salt and light. Absolutely. But that's not the end of the story, just what we do. This is what I do. Who you are is way more important because what you do in the world is temporal. Period. I don't care how long you plan on doing it. At one point in time, you will stop doing what you do. It's temporal. But who you are in Christ is eternal. I think even more importantly, 
what you do for Christ is also important. We lose sight of that because there's nothing that can change once we're in Christ. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. You are in Christ forever. When Jesus said that, there's no one that can take uh, us out of the Father's hands. No one can take us out of his hands. He and the Father are one. There's nothing that can change. Once we are in Christ, we are in Christ eternally. But what we do for Christ is the choice we make. So we can be dedicated to what we do in this world and, and we can spend all of our time, energy, effort, thoughts, all those things and be only known for what we do in this world and what we have in this world or we can be known for who we are in Christ and what we do for Christ because all of those are eternal. Again, Colossians chapter 3 tells us if you've been risen with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Brother Tony read this morning in Corinthians chapter 6 that, that we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. Therefore, we should glorify God and our body and our spirit, which are the Lord's. We are in Christ. And, and when we were in Christ, we've died to ourselves, died to the world. And it says this. I love this verse, verse 4. And when Christ, who is, our, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Who is your life? I'm going to ask you this morning, is that, is that the definition of your life? Christ is my life. It's my life. I know I don't want to keep talking about him, but again, with it being so fresh in, in our church and, and the position that he held, an officer in this church, Brother Mike, just want to use this as an example and it's not everybody's call it's not everybody's place but he was a very uh, successful uh, businessman and he had a, a very good corporate job he used to talk about how he you know when he first uh, the last job he, you know uh, the, the the job that stuck out in his mind I'm sorry it was was Mary Kay and he he, he could he went in there as human resources manager and he he was able to pick out of his own furniture. He was, I just thought, wow, I wasn't raised this way. I come out, to come up this way and to be able to, to just pick whatever furniture you want to, to, you know, your own office and to have all these things. And, um, you know, when the Lord tugged on his heart and told him, I want you to serve me, he, he left it all to come work up here in our Christian school for $800 a month. He wasn't worried about what he did in the world. He was worried about who he was in Christ and what he did for Christ. And I'm not saying that's everybody's cause. That's a while ago, but it's a good example. We know that we have to work to provide. And those of us who have families know the, the, the responsibility that comes along with having a family. And there are definitely things that God has blessed us with in the temporal time that I think we should enjoy in this temporal time. Things like our family. Things like food. I, I enjoy the blessing of food, right? I think that he also gives us the, the blessings of friends and, 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 and hobbit, things that we can enjoy on this earth in his creation. I, absolutely. But those things are not our life. And that's not what we should be living for. 
the temporal blessings for a temporal world. They don't hold a candle to the eternal blessings that come with eternal investment. And while we can't see that right now, right, we can, we can, we can build up a bank account. We can, we can spend our money. I'm sorry, this thing is driving me nuts. Let's readjust here. There we go. We can spend all of our time on temporal things, and we can, we can, we can build up a bank account, and, and we can say, you know what, I, I want that item right there. I want that house right there. I want that car right there, which, again, nothing's wrong with having things in this world. It's, it's a temporal thing. We have to keep it for what it is. It's temporal. It's not something to live for. We can't see the crowns. We just can't see the glory in the presence of God, we can't see some of the eternal blessings and the eternal rewards that are there that, again, our brothers experiencing right now, other brothers and sisters gone before us are experiencing now. We can't see all that stuff, but it is way more valuable, of way more importance than anything on this earth. Nothing can hold a candle to it. Even the blessing of being in the presence of God in the saints of God like, I love this. I, 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 I don't have to be preaching. I love being in church. I love when other people are preaching. I, lo- I love being with the people of God, praising God. I love it. I think every Christian loves it. I think every Christian should love it. But man, we have thoughts and burdens. We have worries. We have struggles. We have, uh, you know, we have obligations, financial obligations. We have you know, things we got to get done. We have all the things that are supposed to happen today and, and, and tomorrow and this week. All that stuff weighing down as we're sitting here. Part of the eternal blessings when we get to the, to the presence of God one day is none of that stuff's going to be there. We talk about blessings. Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for your treasures, yourselves treasures in heaven. This is Jesus talking. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if you you got it set on right, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I've said this many times, we preached this before, that um, God could have used other things. He could have said, you can't serve God and, you know, your spouse. You can't serve God and your kids. You can't serve God and, and yourself. But it's interesting that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And the way the system of the world works, it runs off of what? Money. What, what also does Scripture tell us about money? That the love of it is the root of all evil. Right? I think that's a lot of what we see going on in our world today. Evil is abounding. There's a lot of love of money. But he says you can't, you can't serve both. You can't, you can't have one as your God and, and love the other. It, it, it's one or the other. You are either completely devoted to God and completely love him or you'll be completely in love and devoted to money. And you say, no, no, no. Some people, it's their job. That's the, the way it works out. Some people, it's their family. Well, I've got to get this and buy this so we can do this and do that. And so you can't serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't, be, don't worry about your life. Don't be so fearful about your life. Aren't you the Lord's? 
what you eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns like farmers do. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, worried about your life, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Isn't that amazing? What, a, what an amazing scripture for today. Which of you being anxious, worried about life, can add a single hour to his lifespan? You know, the Bible says about our life that our days are numbered, that they're in God's record. He knows the number of days that each one of us has on this earth. There's nothing that you or I or anything or anyone else can add or take away from that. Isn't that amazing? That there's nothing. I mean, that's the, the miracle of people who, who have gotten sick that the doctor says there's no hope and God has raised them from the sickbed and they still live today. There's, there's the same thing. People get into accidents and they walk away from those accidents and live. And people say there's no way someone should have walked away from that accident alive. He is God and he is the author, he's the giver and the taker of all. He is the one who's in control. He is the one who knows the number of days. He know, he's the one that, that, that has our days numbered. Every single one of us, he, he is the one that has the appointment that every single one of us will have. No matter what they did, no matter what they tried, no matter what happened with Brother Mike, it was going to happen on Friday morning at 5.50 that he was going to leave that body and go to be in the presence of God. Nothing was going to change that. We need to remember that as the people of God. What can you add anything to your life, even in a single hour? Absolutely not. It's a rhetorical question. Why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow, neither toil or spin. They don't do anything about, you know, clothing themselves. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what are we going to eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? Don't, don't live your life worried about the things in this world. The Gentiles do those things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What you need to do as the people of God, what you need to do with a relationship with God is this. Seek first, above all things, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And just know and trust that everything that you need in this world will be given to you. It may not look like your neighbors. It may not look like what everybody else is experiencing. But God, as your Father, knows exactly what you need. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, he says. Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's enough trouble today to worry about tomorrow's trouble. First Corinthians chapter 2, it's written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Set your treasure on things above. Set your eyes on things above. Invest in eternal things. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore do not 
we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing even though the, these physical bodies are wearing away yet our inward man is being renewed by day by day Again, Paul knew what it was to have his outward man perishing he had been stoned he had been in prison he had been beaten he had experienced all these things in his outward body and he says look we don't lose heart even though we are suffering physically even though our bodies are wearing away we don't lose heart because our inward man is constantly renewed day by day and we see that our light affliction what we go through externally is for a moment and that affliction for the cause of Christ is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory and so we don't look at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen why because the things which are seen are temporal and the things which are not seen are eternal as I said a while ago we can't see those eternal rewards right now we can't see the great blessings that wait for us right now but we know they're there because of what God says in his word. What's interesting and unique here is that Cornelius is all these things without connecting the dots to Christ per se. But that's about to change. He had faith in God like I believe other Old Testament saints had. But he hadn't been converted to Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit because Scripture tells us that. He had faith in God. He was known for that. He just needed to hear the good news that Jesus had come and paid the price and rose from the grave. Again, that's about to change. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying, Cornelius. When he, when he saw him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with a man named Simon, Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea he will tell you what you must do which is interesting right Cornelius obviously seeking God what, what do you want me to do what do you want for my life we don't know exactly what he was praying but God heard his prayer and says okay I want you to send some guys to Simon Tanner the Tanner's house and I want you to get Peter Simon Peter and have him come and he will let you know what you need to do when the angel who spoke to him departed Cornelius called two of his household ser servants and a devout soldier from among, from among those who waited on him continually. So these were his, his household servants, those people that were maybe his per, one of his, his bodyguards. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter, Simon Peter, went up on the house, housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it was about noontime. He came very hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Not so, Lord. Peter, man, he is he can be stubborn, right? Right? He's, he said that before. Jesus said, hey, I want to wash your feet. He said, No, 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 not my feet, Lord. He's okay, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part in me in the kingdom. So, okay, well then don't, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body, you know. Peter's good at doing this, but he says, rise, Peter, and eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He is missing out on bacon. I'm telling you what. <laughs> I could have told him that. But a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Three times. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes God has to repeat himself, right? Sometimes he has to do things to really get our attention. Right, man, why, can't I, why couldn't I have just learned that the first time? 
You know, I had to walk that journey three times or four times. Why, why did it take that many times for God to, to let it sink in, you know? And Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was, uh, surname was, Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, he's sitting there pondering, what in the world does this mean? Three times, the sheep comes down, all these common animals fall down, I'm told to kill them and eat them. I've never done that before. What does this mean? When he's sitting there thinking about this, these guys come up and show up at Simon Tanner's the house, and he says, hey, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I've sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he who, whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. The following day, they entered the Caesarea, which I'll say this, by the way, Caesarea was, it was a port or a city on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and it was named Caesarea, which sounds gross when you say it like that, right? Sounds like some type of fungus or a disease. We got Caesarea. But uh, it's, it, it, was, it was named by, now you're going to be thinking, every time you read Caesarea, Caesarea in Scripture, you're going to be thinking, oh, why did he have to say that? But it was a beautiful sea uh, port resort and it was built by Herod the Great which was a very humble guy right that's why it's called Herod the Great um, he was he was he was known for doing things like this like building palaces and resorts for himself and and um, living in those humble humble places but but he built it for Caesar Augustus and um, so this is where it is there on the Mediterranean Sea so Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and began to worship him. But Peter lifted him up saying, oh, no, no, get, get, get up, man. <laughs> Look, I was just back at this guy's house, and the Lord had to do this th thing three times. I'm nobody to be worshipped. Because <laughs> I myself also a man. He talked with them, went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, you know, this is interesting, you know. How unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, or to go uh, to go one of another, or to go one of another nation. Look at this. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, verse twenty-nine. I came without objection, as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? What's interesting is, again. It was known. Uh, Cornelius' house, he was a devout man of God. He knew the, the law. He knew this was not right for a Jewish man to keep company with someone like him or to other people. They knew these things. And then Peter says, and I have experienced that. That's the way I've lived my life up to this point. But God has shown me. God has revealed to me. God has shown me this important thing. And when God showed me this, when God revealed it to me, what did he do? Verse 29, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. So what's so important about this? Point number two, it's so important for us to be diligent, to stay moldable, and a willing disciple of Christ. Again, Peter 
had already gone down this road. No, no, Lord. God comes in the garden, wants to arrest Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Boom. Not <laughs> Jesus. Woo. Jesus cuts off the guy's ear, right? Jesus is like, oh, it's not right time. Puts his ear back on. Peter was, was, was good at not being moldable. He was good at, at, at having his mind made up and, and thinking one way. He was, he was good at having things set. And it took three times for the Lord to reveal to him what needed to change in his life, what needed to change in his mind and his heart. And as soon as he got it, he said, when he showed me that, I came with that objection. It's so important. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what you think you know about following Christ, all of us need to stay moldable. Be diligent. Give every effort every day to say, God, I'm your vessel. I'm willing. Teach me. Show me something. I'm yours. Be diligent to stay moldable and a willing disciple of Christ. When, when he said, hey, I want you to go to this guy's house, and, 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 and then you'll find out even more of what you need to do. He said, all right, I'll go. He didn't have to have all the answers. He didn't have to have every T crossed and every I dotted. And I'm not saying that we don't do our due diligence and we don't pray and we don't get peace from God before we make decisions. Of course we do. I'm not saying that we don't make decisions in an emotional state. Listen, if you're emotional about something, don't make a decision, a life-changing decision, a spiritual decision. Make sure that when you make a decision, especially a life-altering, life-changing, a spiritual decision, that you are in the Spirit. And then you do it in that place of being moldable and a willing disciple of Christ. What is best for the kingdom of God? What does God want me to do? What is he trying to do? A lot of things happened and changed here in just a matter of a few days for Peter uh, and, and these Gentiles. Peter couldn't be above learning and growing and God revealing something to him where he would have missed it. This mystery of the Gentiles is completely new to the Jews and they had so long to follow God's directives for, for their nation to God and not intermingling. And, and again, they, they learned some very hard lessons by disobeying throughout the history of Israel by intermingling and intermarrying. But this new mystery has been unfolded. And it had to be a life-changing shift in the discipleship process. I don't know if you have ever experienced that in your life where God had to tell you something or God, God had to take you through something time and time again to make that shift of thinking, to make that shift in your heart in the process of following Christ. But it can be difficult sometimes. It can be really difficult. Well, I've always done this. I've always thought this. I've always felt this. This is the way it's always been. I'm not saying you alter truths or you compromise truths like Jesus is the only way. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it ever changes, the, the, the gospel ever changes, never changes. The, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the, the truth that we find in Scripture ever changed, but we are all in the discipleship process. We are all in the, in, in, in the process of being molded, formed, the word fashioned in, in Scripture, into the image of Christ. So again, no matter how old you get, no matter how long you've been a Christian, it's still a process. And we need to be diligent to stay moldable. The fact that God had commanded them not to intermingle or intermarry had nothing to do with his partiality or racism. 
So why did God not want them to be a part of the Gentiles? Is God, no, God created all mankind. So why did God give commands like that? Why did God tell the Jews not to intermingle, intermarry? If, if it wasn't partial races, why, why did he do that? It was very clearly about God's direction for the Jews, which had to do with God's timing for redemption. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, Christ came. It had to do with pointing to Jesus as the only way to God, himself as the only means for eternal life. So while for hundreds of years and even thousands of years they couldn't see or understand this mystery, now being revealed, they were to simply trust God's plan and God's timing. Why can't we intermingle? Why can't we intermarry? Why can't we do this right now? Why is this not what we're supposed to do? For the Jews, it had to do, and for all of mankind, that, that part of God's program had to do with Jesus being the only way to salvation. They were to stay submitted and obedient. And so God had to reveal himself like this, even in a dream. I want to stop there. We'll not get point three this, this week because I got way too much more to cover. But I want to, I want to end there and encourage you and, and, and make sure that you walk out of here with this encouragement to be diligent and stay moldable and willing and a willing disciple of Christ. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. You may have been a Christian for a year, six months, or 60 years. But we learned from someone this morning who had walked with Jesus in the flesh himself. Somebody who was an apostle, had seen the risen Christ, who had apostolic power given by Jesus himself, who, who had been given the responsibility to feed Jesus' sheep, been given the responsibility in early church to lead. We, we see this, this person as this example, and yet we see, again, the Lord taking, it took three, it didn't take the Lord three times, it took Peter three times to get what God was trying to show him. And again, we can learn a lesson from that. I never want to get to a place in my walk with Christ, and neither should any one of us, that we can't learn, that we can't grow, that our heart can't be changed, our mind can't be changed, to become more like Christ, to become more in line with his will. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you. Maybe there's something, maybe there's an area in your life where you're being stubborn. And maybe every week God deals with you and you just resist surrendering that area to the Lord. It's a lot better when you stay moldable. It's a lot better. It's a better road to be in the will of God and to go God's way. And if you're here today, as I prayed earlier, and you're not, listen to these words, you're not 100% positive, no fraction of a doubt, that when you die, you're going to heaven. If you're here and you say, I'm not 100% positive, then I want to invite you. We're about to have an invitation. I want to invite you down here. We're not going to make a show. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything other than we can take you privately to the side and show you in God's word what God's word says on how you can be saved from your sin, how you can have eternal life, how that when you do die, you can have 100% confidence that you're going to heaven. But don't leave this place 
not being 100% positive. So you don't move during the invitation time. Say, I just, I don't know, I've never walked in front of a group of people. Then don't leave those doors. I'll be back there. There's other people back there. Stop somebody and say, hey, the preacher was talking about not knowing 100%. I'm that person. And we're, again, we're not going to embarrass you. We'll just take you privately aside and show you what God says. Not what we say, what God says. How you can know 100%. We just want to make sure you don't leave this place not sure. Again, we rejoice over the fact that one of our brothers, we, we, have, we have confidence because of his profession, but also how his life lined up with that profession. He was confident because of what God said. Don't leave here without that same confidence. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do again in our lives. Thank you for this time that we've had to rejoice and praise and worship you and Thank you for this time that we've had to be in your word and to, to learn a little bit more about who you are and learn a little bit more of, of who we are in you and, and what we should be doing for you. As we said and saw in the very beginning, help us not be known for what we do. There's a lot of people in this church and a lot of people in this room that do a lot of really good and even cool things on this earth. For a living, they, they have a job, they have careers, they do things that, that are temporal and it's, and it's neat, but that's not what our life should be marked by. We should be known for who we are in you and what we do for you. So I pray that we would be challenged not only with that, but we'd also be challenged with the fact that we're never too old, we're never too spiritually mature to be molded to your image, Lord. We're never too, too far along that we shouldn't be following you uh, every day. Lord, help us to respond rightly now. We'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.